In 2005, Hurricane Katrina struck the city of New Orleans with devastating force, destroying much of the city and leaving thousands homeless. I still remember images of the gigantic Superdome Stadium filled with refugees from the disaster. How does a community recover from such a blow? For that matter, how can a family, how can we recover if a personal disaster strikes? We'll dig into that today on Groundwork. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Dave Bast. This is the first in a series that we're calling, Now What? Rebuilding When Life Falls Apart. And what we're going to do in this series is go to a portion of the Bible that probably isn't super familiar to a lot of people, and that is the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, these are books that, in the in the typical order of the Bible, these come before the book of Psalms yet, and before the prophets, right before Esther, and that can kind of mess up your understanding of what the events are, because these events actually take place after most of the prophets, or contemporaneous with prophets like Haggai and Zechariah. So even though it comes in the Bible before the Psalms and before the prophets, most of uh, the action in Ezra and Nehemiah are uh, after the 70 years of exile uh, in Babylon. Right. The disaster that struck the city of Jerusalem was not a hurricane or a physical act of nature or natural disaster, as we say, of some kind, uh, but rather it was uh, the result of war and invasion by the Babylonian army, and the city was destroyed. The people were carried off into exile basically in a series of deportations that took place over about 20 years, and the end finally came in the year 587 B.C. when uh, the last king of Judah rebelled against the Babylonian power and thought he could kind of somehow escape from under their heal, and instead uh, Jerusalem was laid siege, and uh, the whole city was destroyed. The temple was destroyed, temple was destroyed. and what was left of the cream of the people uh, were carried away hundreds of miles to Babylon. And we can draw some lessons, I think, from Ezra and Nehemiah in terms of uh, where is God in all of that? Right. Is there hope in all of that? What does rebuilding look like? Does it always go quickly? Does it always go smoothly? We're going to see that the answer to those questions is no. no right. Um, but yeah. uh, that's why we're looking at this. Is This could just become a historical yeah. curio study, but we want this we don't to be want relevant. That, right. yeah. yeah, absolutely relevant. And, and you know... Even a life change, uh, something like retirement mm. or uh, becoming an empty nester, anything that might prompt you to say, well, now what do I do? Where do I go from here? Uh, what does my life look like now? It's not going to be the same as it was. Uh, so I, I think there's a lot of wonderful wisdom in these chronicles of ancient Jewish history. Right. And it is pretty much Jewish now by this point because what was left was the kingdom of Judah or Judea, and that's where the actual word Jew comes from. Uh, so it's no longer the, the larger people of Israel that most of them have kind of disappeared. But let's begin then uh, by going to Scripture and the opening verses of the book of Ezra. He actually doesn't appear until quite a bit later right. in the book, but this is how Ezra starts. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, 
the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it into writing. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem and Judah. Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem and Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel. So that's quite a deal. And you notice right at the outset uh, that Jeremiah is named in this verse. Right. That's what we said earlier. By the way, uh, in older uh, copies of the uh, Hebrew Scripture, this was originally first and second Ezra, uh, but eventually got divided into Ezra and then a separate book named Nehemiah. What we need to, and this is also why we said, even though these books and the order of books in the Old Testament are before the Psalms and the Prophets, this really should come after Jeremiah because uh, these events uh, take place there. But what we need to backfill the history a little bit. So the the Babylonians led by Nebuchadnezzar carried the people off into exile in 587 BC, but then the Babylonians were conquered by the Persians. Uh, the Babylonian Empire uh, went under, and so now the Persians are taking over, and they've got all these Jewish exiles, and this king named Cyrus, and, and here's what Jeremiah said, Jeremiah predicted that somebody very unexpected was going to become God's servant. In fact, Dave, there were prophecies in, in Jeremiah, but also in, in Isaiah, and Isaiah had a, a remarkable line too, where he said that this Cyrus was going to be God's Mashiach, in other words, God's Messiah, God's anointed one. Now, usually the kings of Israel were the anointed ones, David and, and, and Solomon, and, and they were the Mashiach, anticipating ultimately the final Messiah, who was going to be Jesus, of course. But now we're told this pagan Persian is God's anointed one. What a surprise that is, Dave, where God's hand is at work. Who'd have thunk it? Yeah, absolutely. And notice uh, how Ezra 1 introduces this. In order to fulfill the word which the Lord had spoken through Jeremiah, the prophet, he says, well, Jeremiah had prophesied that the exile would last 70 years. And that's why he said to the people, you know, when you go to Babylon, you're going to have to settle there and seek the good of the city in a famous passage and plant your vineyards and in your gardens and and uh, try to help things uh, go well there. Uh, but 70 years and the first attack by the Babylonian army on Jerusalem and Judea took place in about the year 607 B.C., uh, this return happened in 538, roughly 70 years uh, that the exile lasted from the very beginning. Then there was the destruction of the city, and then finally the return under Cyrus. So uh, this whole story is really a story of God's faithfulness, uh, faithfulness to his promise. Yes, he's punished his people for their sin, their rebellion, but he hasn't forgotten them. He's not going to leave them there. And so he moves the heart of Cyrus the king to issue this proclamation, which is a wonderful thing to think about. What controls world events, really? Is it politics? Is it economics? Well, behind it all is the hand of God. And again, this was a refrain all through the prophets that, yep, you're going to go uh, into exile. Uh, Ezekiel saw the presence of the Lord lifting up from the temple. We had a series recently on images for the church, and uh, we talked about the temple, and we went to Ezekiel, where Ezekiel sees the Spirit of God leave the temple. But Ezekiel would say, and Jeremiah would say, and Isaiah would say, and they would all say, but you're going to come back. You're going to come back. I will restore you. Comfort, comfort my people, Isaiah 40, for your sin has been paid for. 
and now you're going to come back. But again, who would have thought that it would have been a Persian king who would help them to come back? And we'll see in just a moment that uh, Cyrus does a few other amazing things in terms of what he sends back to the land uh, with these people. So we'll, we'll keep following this story in just a moment. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. You're listening to Groundwork, where we're digging into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Dave Bast. And I'm Scott Jose. And Dave, we are in this series on Ezra and Nehemiah talking about uh, how do we rebuild after disaster comes? How do the people of Israel specifically here rebuild after 70 years of captivity, captured by the Babylonians? But then after the Babylonians are conquered by the Persians, uh, God raises up Cyrus and anoints him makes him the Messiah for the people, and he sends them back. In accordance with his word, uh, by prophet after prophet, in particular the prophet Jeremiah. And, you know, speaking of Jeremiah, there's a wonderful verse that I think many people may be familiar with. It may be the most familiar verse uh, in the book of Jeremiah where he says, uh, God says through Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you, and they're plans for good, not for evil. And the big thing is, if our life is hit a rough patch, or or even if it, we feel like it's fallen apart, uh, we hang on to the idea that God has this. God is with us. God still has a plan for us, and it's good, and he can make it happen uh, because he controls even world events on the stage of empires and kingdoms and nations. So, I, I mean, th- this is a wonderfully reassuring message, but let's go on and read a little bit more from the book of Ezra, from the first chapter still, and see what happens next. Then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved, prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. All their neighbors assisted them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with valuable gifts in addition to all the free will offerings. So God moved Cyrus and now God is moving some people, but not all the people. Jeremiah said, you know, seek the good of the city, you know, where you're going to go into exile. Um, you know, don't try to destroy it. Well, they did that. I don't, wouldn't say that they led comfortable lives in exile, but it was better than going back to Jerusalem, which by now, 70 years later, was probably a haunt for jackals and wild animals. The city had been destroyed. So Cyrus said, you can go back. And some of the people of Israel said, Go back to what? Thank you very much. We'll stay right here. Yeah, yeah. Let me just settle down here and back. Actually, historians date what's called the diaspora of the Jewish people Mm. from this very act of exile so that by the time of Christ, and again, you think about the providence of God, one of the great messages of these books, that, that God has a plan and God is in control. So Jewish communities eventually scattered all over the Mm -hmm. Mediterranean world, all the way from Babylon to Spain. And 
when Christ came and uh, died and rose again, and then the apostles began to spread the gospel, they found ready-made audiences in most of these major cities of Jewish people who had been scattered there. So this, too, uh, fit the plan of God. But first, and meanwhile, he wanted his people to return and so uh, he stirs the hearts, but not all of them, as you said. Right. But some do, uh, and, and quite a few end up going back. And Ezra chapter 2 is actually a really long list. It's interesting, too, that they, they bring back a lot, of, a lot of materials, but there's something interesting also. And they even have some gold and silver to bring back. Some of the neighbors in Babylon, we assume, maybe gave them some things. It reminds you of the Israelites leaving Egypt right. on yeah. the night of uh, Passover when the Egyptians uh, gave jewelry. Yeah. At, here, take this. Out of town. <laughs> take this. Get going. But in uh, Ezra 1, verse 7, we find out something else amazing about Cyrus. He brought out the articles belonging to the temple of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and placed in the temple of his God. But Cyrus, king of Persia, brought them back out. So Cyrus returns the stuff Nebuchadnezzar stole from the temple so that when they rebuild the temple, they can put that stuff back. Kind of makes you wonder what's going on in Cyrus's heart, huh? Yeah. In his spiritual life, but uh, but at any rate, there are some interesting things to be gleaned, even from this very dry list of names and numbers uh, that Ezra goes through. It's it's kind of a catalog uh, of who decided to go back, and he doesn't name obviously all forty two thousand individuals, but he kind of lumps people together by their clan or by whom they were descended from or in some cases by their town or place of origin. So people had hung on to this identity uh, through 70 years, and uh, they still remember, well, we're actually, you know, we're from Anathoth, or we're from uh, Kiriath-Jearim, or we're from Ramah, we're from Bethel, we're from Ai, we're from Bethlehem. And and so uh, all those groups are enumerated in Ezra 2. And what's striking to me Scott, about this, is that they were towns from all over Israel, not just from Judah. Yeah, Bethlehem, we get that. That's just outside of Jerusalem, the city of David, uh, the birthplace uh, of the Messiah Jesus eventually. Uh, But also places like Bethel and Ai in the northern part, in the heart of the northern kingdom of Israel. So there were some of those. I mean, God's people came from all over, and they came from all the tribes when they returned. Yeah, the northern kingdom, the ten tribes are mostly wiped out by Assyria uh, and never heard from again, really. But some of the remnant are heard from again here. Interestingly, though, too, Dave, they the, in verse 59 of Ezra 2, and again, if you stick with Ezra 2 all the way to the 59th verse, good for you. But it says, the following came up with the towns of, and it lists a whole bunch, Tel Malah, Tel Harsha, and so forth. But they could not show that their families were descended from Israel. So in other words, some people from the nations said, we'd like to go back to Israel too. And well, we see this now and again in the Old Testament, uh, sort of the fulfillment of what God said to Abram in Genesis 12. Through you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. This is going to go beyond Israel eventually. And here's another little hint and whisper of that. I remember uh, reading a great line uh, from somebody. I can't remember exactly who it was. It might have been Will Williman. I'm not sure. But uh, it's like when God, you know, shares the, the message with people or the word or the gospel, he doesn't just say, believe it. He says, come join up, come and join up, because that's what it is. It's a movement. And even back in the book of Ezra, it's it must have been that somehow they were hearing, come and join up. You can come too. Yeah, it doesn't matter who you are. 
Uh, if you're willing to get up and go, if God has stirred your heart, and it was, again, as we said, only a minority, it's a remnant of a remnant uh, who feel moved to return and undertake the rigors of that desert journey and come back to a, a desolate place and face a lifetime of toil and hard work, uh, and they're not going to see the fruit in their own lives, maybe. But if you're willing, you're welcome. Uh, and that's really the message of the Bible from beginning to end. Right. And so it's interesting to see notes of that, even in uh, some of this uh, otherwise dry looking history, uh, the hand of God is at work here. And that's something I think we all need to remember that God, when we're re rebuilding our lives and we're asking that question, which is the title of this series, well, now what? Well, we aren't always sure now what or what's next or where God's going to pop up and through whom he's going to work, but we have that confidence that he's going to do that. Well, we want to, uh, in the next program in this series, we're going to look specifically at a lot of the events that happen across a very long period of time before the title character of Ezra even shows up. So we want to look a little bit uh, at Ezra, but then we also want to, uh, in the next final segment, to jump ahead to the other book that will be part of this four-part series and uh, introduce the character of Nehemiah and how he comes into the action. And we'll take that up in just a moment. Trees are a recurring and meaningful symbol throughout the Bible. Genesis 2 introduces us to the tree of life. Moses meets the Lord at a burning bush. Jesus calls Zacchaeus to come down from a sycamore tree. And Paul describes the church as a branch grafted into the tree of Israel. In Revelation, the Bible returns to the imagery of the tree of life. So how does this imagery of trees root our lives more deeply in the promises of God? Join today in April for a series of devotions titled Trees in Scripture. Refresh, refocus, and renew at todaydevotional.com. I'm Dave Bast with Scott Jose, and you're listening to Groundwork. So let's move on in Ezra to Ezra chapter 7, where the character of Ezra is actually introduced. After these things, during the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, and then there follows a whole bunch of son of son of son of son of going back to Aaron. So he's a direct descendant of the high priest Aaron, the original high priest. Ezra came up from Babylon. He was a teacher well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given the king had granted him everything he asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. Ezra arrived in Jerusalem in the fifth month of the seventh year of the king. So now, Scott, it's 459 B.C., and I know these numbers are hard to keep straight, but let me just, 70 years have passed since Cyrus and that initial return to Jerusalem. So Two generations have gone by, and now all of a sudden a new leader is sent back, and it's Ezra. He is going to be sent back under the blessing of the next king of Persia, a man named Artaxerxes. Seventy years, that's a long time. If you think of American uh, political history, uh, 70 years is how long passed between Teddy Roosevelt being president and Ronald Reagan. That's a long time. That's 1910 to 1980. Uh, so 70 years. The work isn't going fast, in other words. Though, you know, and we're, we're going to read some of the intrigue uh, of the, in the next 
next program in this series of, of why the work took longer, why it sometimes stalled out, why it was opposed, and some of the political intrigue that go, when it went on. But things didn't happen quickly, and there might be a lesson for us there, too. We, we, we kind of live in a fast-forward culture. I want it my way right away, as the old Burger King ad used to say. But it doesn't always work that way. So a lot of time has passed, and now this character of Ezra, in the priestly line of Aaron, that's important for the role he's going to play. Now, he's going to be sent from Persia under the blessing of Artaxerxes to help the people continue to rebuild the temple and particularly the altar in the temple. Yeah. And he's also a preacher. That's made clear. He's well-versed in the law, which is not just the Ten Commandments, of course, but Torah, the first five books of Moses. And we could expand that and say he knows the Bible backwards and forwards, and he's equipped to preach it and teach it to the people because they had a spiritual component to the rebuilding, too. It wasn't just a physical or political disaster. It was certainly that. But you think about how the exile must have been hard on Israel's faith Mm. because their life, their worship life centered on the temple. And with the temple gone and the people carried away into exile, there was no more worship. They had not yet developed the practice of weekly worship. The synagogue would emerge later, and and perhaps it had a, a start even in the exile as they tried to hang on to God's word. But no worship, no sacrifices, no offerings, no priests, and no Bible to speak of. Most of them couldn't read. And One interesting thing we learn later in the book of Ezra, and Nehemiah in particular, most of them couldn't understand Hebrew anymore, so they couldn't understand their own Bible. So Ezra's going to have this spiritual rebuilding that he has to do. And if you think about it, often our faith takes a hit, too, if we've experienced some kind of personal setback or some kind of uh, problem in life. And again, God is is at work. He's at work in the sending of Ezra. Uh, but we also want to talk about Nehemiah before we close out this program. So now we got to go forward about 13 years. So Ezra is sent by Artaxerxes around 459. 13 years later, it's 446. Remember the BC years countdown. And uh, now we hear about this cupbearer. Uh, to the Persian king, a man named Nehemiah. Uh, And here's how Nehemiah begins, the words of Nehemiah. And then it says, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates have been burned with fire. And when I, Nehemiah, heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So here's a man who's probably never, ever, definitely has never, ever been in Jerusalem. Uh, he, He was born after the exile happened, long after the exile happened, but he knows of Jerusalem. He's heard of Jerusalem. Maybe he knows the Psalms and the Psalms of Ascent mm. of going up to Jerusalem. It, it's in his heart as a vision. And so when he hears that it's in complete disrepair yet, all these years later, he weeps. Yeah. He does something else, too, that's remarkable. We don't have time to read uh, Nehemiah 1. It's a great chapter. He confesses the sins of Israel uh, mm. before God. And then he goes to the king. And you mentioned, Scott, he's the cupbearer. And we shouldn't think Downton Abbey Butler, you know, uh, of that position. We should think more like 
presidential chief of staff. That right. was a very important political right. uh, position. So he's not going to be able to skip town very easily. But he goes to the king with a request, can I get a leave of absence? And he prays just before he asks the king, and the king says yes. So uh, a wonderful blend, Nehemiah, is of piety and activity, of prayer and planning. It's a both and. Uh, we should reject as one of my friends used to say, the tyranny of the or for the glory of the end when it comes to the work of God. Indeed, and we're seeing that again and again. God's hidden hand of providence, it's going to continue in this story, and uh, we're just thankful to God to know it's continuing in our lives today too. Well, thanks for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We're your hosts, Scott Jose and Dave Bast, and we'll hope you'll join us again next time as we continue in Ezra to study the rebuilding of Jerusalem and discuss what all was happening when they were reestablishing the anchors of their faith after life had knocked them down. Connect with us at our website, groundworkonline.com. Share what Groundwork means to you and tell us what you'd like to hear discussed on Groundwork. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit ReframeMinistries.org for more information. Our recording engineer is Dodd Morris, and our post-production supervisor is John Reeder. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacob.